Susanna Lawson is a woman on a mission and so far has grown a startup of two people from a spare room in Manchester to a multi-million pound global award-winning company with over 85 employees. Susanna didn't come from a tech background, but found a way to turn her idea to solve a big problem into a tech platform called OneFile. In this episode, Susanna shares her story of how she turned her idea into reality, lots of lessons learned, triumphs, challenges, and more. My name is Charlie Wyman, and I'm the host of the Curiosity Key podcast, where I interview other curious thinking advocates that believe that curiosity really is one of our biggest assets and can be used as a huge force for good and strategy for successful business and marketing. Susanna shares so many words of wisdom, insights and advice in this episode, so be sure to take lots of notes, or if you're on the move, check out the show notes on my website. Just visit charliewyman.com forward slash podcast. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I do. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Curiosity Key podcast where I'm joined by Susanna Lawson. Susanna, welcome and thank you so much for joining me. No problem, it's an absolute pleasure. So before we start, can you just introduce yourself? Because I think, you know, there's there's so many different things that we can talk about on this episode. Um, but first, tell us about yourself and your business. Okay, so I'm Susanna Lawson. I'm CEO and co-founder of One File Limited. We're a Manchester-based company um, and our sector is primarily uh, post-16 vocational training, so apprenticeships. So we've got a SaaS-based business, um, cloud-based pl- platform that delivers, um, well, it supports our customers to deliver apprenticeships. So our customer base tends to be further education colleges, universities, uh, private training providers and employers that have their own vocational training sectors. Fantastic. And you've grown this company from two people in a spare bedroom to, I think, yeah, you've got 85 staff Around at the moment. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and how long yeah. has it taken you to do that? Um, it's been 15 years. So we launched 15 years ago, put our first uh, learners on 15 years ago. So, yeah, it's been an absolute journey uh, from them from where we are now. Um, so yeah, as you said, we launched from our back bedroom in Burnage in Manchester, um, all from an idea. Um, I was basically working as an apprenticeship assessor. I was working in nursing homes and going and training um, learners and carers in nursing homes. Um, and I used to have to set off on my home in Burnage and I would go uh, long distances uh, traveling up to three hours to a nursing home in Shropshire and I'd arrive and they'd sort of say oh I forgot you were coming today I didn't bring my portfolio in um, and I'd be like well I've just driven three hours to come and see you I've got a three-hour drive home and I can't continue any of your work um, so I started having a bit of an inkling that I could use technology to solve that problem and make the delivery of apprenticeships and vocational training more cost effective and make me more productive as an employee um, and also make report writing easier because I'd be able to click a button using technology and the report would uh, just appear um and yeah so it just just had this idea about how technology could solve that problem but that you know then well you know work takes over and it sort of comes and goes the thought comes and goes um until finally i had a chance conversation with my boyfriend now husband he was designing websites and databases from our back bedroom and we had a bit of a chance conversation and he said well i can i can build that um i was like oh can you <laughs> so we had a bit of a light bulb moment and um stupidly or <laughs> i'm not sure what you'd call it uh, we decided to give it a go 
Um, so it's been, yeah, an absolutely fascinating 15 years. It definitely has. Amazing. So before then, had you had you had any experience of developing technology or bringing technology to market or anything like that? A hundred percent not. <laughs> I would never in a million years have thought that I would be a CEO or a founder of a tech company. That was, you know, I was working in care. That was my background. I was a carer. I also worked with adults with learning disabilities. Um, and yeah, I never, ever dreamt of owning my own business or founding any kind of company. Um, but I just sort of, there was a sort of an itch that needed to be scratched. I could see there was a problem and I couldn't see a solution on the market for it. And, you know, I, I sort of talk about this on the network of technology founders and uh, startups in Manchester. You don't have to be a techie to be a tech founder because I'm not. Um, I had an idea and then I found somebody that could build that for me. And that happened to be my partner. But, you know, you could get investment. You could find a friend. You can. There's lots of different ways to bring a tech solution to market. It doesn't have to be you as the developer. You just, what somebody needs the idea. And do you think it was easier or harder, the fact that your developer was your husband? Mm. <laughs> well, I think at the time it was, it was a lot easier um it was um because obviously you're just together all the time so you're just talking about it constantly and bouncing ideas off each other so it yeah and i i think it helped because we weren't both techies we weren't both developers um we had complementary skills i think if we'd both been the developer it would have been a problem if we'd both been the person with the idea it would have been a problem but i think it just because we had complementary skills and motivations i think that just um yeah that's what made it fly really Oh, that's a great, great tip and a great piece of advice there for anybody thinking of taking their idea and turning it into a tech product is to make sure that you do have those diverse experiences and bring together complementary skills rather than try and find somebody to work with that matches your skill set. Absolutely. So that's, that's fantastic. And if, if you could go back 15 years, knowing what you know now, what advice would you give to yourself? Um. I think right at the beginning, I mean, we literally um, didn't leave the house for a couple of years, apart from when I would go out and do the odd bit of sales that came in in the first couple of years. Um, I didn't get involved in any networking at all um, at the beginning. And to be honest, it was only, I mean, I networked obviously in the sector that we're in, the apprenticeship sector and the training sector, but I didn't network with any founders or startups or um so any anybody from that that side of things and it was only when we moved um out of the back bedroom and we found our first office and that was after two years um and we were actually in an incubator uh, that was run by manchester university um, and so then we were around other small startup businesses that we could sort of bounce ideas off other people um and then after that um i didn't even then get involved with the tech scene for example in manchester which is huge and so supportive um I mean, we were in that office for 10 years and it was on the outs. It was between um, Oldham and Manchester. So it was about three miles out of Manchester. And it just felt like a lifetime away from Manchester, even though it was only three miles. Um, so I never went into town. I never joined any sort of the um, networking events. It was only when we moved into Manchester just over two years ago into the city centre that I started learning about all these networks and going out and joining them. And it was really then that um, obviously... To be around other founders and be around other people that are experiencing what you've experienced and understand what you're going through, it's it's just invaluable. 
Um, so, you know, what I wish I'd had it sooner was the contact of other founders and startups that you can talk to because you can speak to your family and friends, um, but they don't fully understand if they don't own their own business, what it's like and the sacrifices you have to make. Um, and luckily I did have Chris. And again, that was useful because again, we could bounce it off each other because we're all going through it together. But obviously it would always have been good to have somebody external to the company who was going through it. And one thing that I have learned over all these years is uh, business is business, no matter what business you're in. So obviously I'm in a tech company, but you know I've spoken to people that's own a chain of pharmacies or a chain of nurseries or pizza oven, uh, you know, reed sellers. Um, the issues that you have are often the same um whether that's people whether that's finance you know cash flow whatever whatever that is um it's it's the same kind of issues um so you can share that and sometimes somebody from outside your own sector um can see it from a different point of view from you definitely oh i'm so glad that you said that because i i'm a huge advocate of promoting diverse thinking you know, I've, I've come from sectors that I used to work in the mining industry, surveying, shipping. And commonly, if you go to any networking event, it's always just talking about that same sector. And I found that one of the things that I've loved doing is bringing those experiences in from different sectors because it's really helped me and uh, sort of open up loads of other opportunities as well. So I'm so glad that you uh, you said that and you can speak fondly of your exp- positive experiences of doing that. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's amazing. So what um, I wanted to talk as well is because you've won some pretty spectacular awards over the years, um, especially the Queen's Award for Innovation, which was always something that I had my sights on uh, back when I used to work for innovation companies. Um, what what made you want to go for an award like that? And also what uh, benefits has that brought to your company? I mean, the Queen's Award is, you know, the biggest award really I feel that you can win in the UK what, what I loved about that award um, was that if you're a worthy winner you win it so one year in the innovation category there might be I'm making this up there might be five winners or there might be 200 winners so if the people that are applying are worthy enough by the people that are um, looking through the nomination. So you go through the first round and then it's the uh, prime minister's advisors look through it and then it looks at the prime minister and then it goes to the queen. Um, so it's not just at the end of the night, you know, at other award ceremonies, which are also fantastic, um, where there's only one winner and maybe a highly commended if you're lucky. Um, it's If you're worthy, you will win it. Um, and I think that's a great um opportunity there we did actually go for it before and we didn't get it and looking back we weren't worthy of the time we had we weren't ready um we we weren't able to um, demonstrate the impacts and you know the the difference that our product had made at that point so it was absolutely right we didn't win it at that point and I was quite glad in a way that we didn't win it the first time around because obviously you know it's disappointing but then when we did win it the second time around it was all the more uh felt like we'd earned it a lot more um what it's brought to the business, I think, is a lot of kudos. I think when you win a Queen's Award, anybody in business does understand what the Queen's Award is about and that it is that at that high level. Um, and it did it did coincide with us moving into the city centre. So, like I said, we'd run one file um, for about the twelve well hmm, about twelve years outside of the city centre from our from Burnage back bedroom and then sort of uh, an office uh, on the outskirts of Manchester. 
And we'd grown from sort of two to sort of 70, 80. And we moved into the city centre and nobody even knew who we were. And we're, you know, we've been in Manchester all this time. But we'd also said that we didn't want to because within the first year of winning the award, you then get your um, your presentation from the Lord Lieutenant. Um, and it, and then so we wanted to wait until we we're in our new offices to make it even more of a celebration to moving into the city centre for all of our team. So it just coincided. So obviously we got some great PR for having that presentation as well. And I think a lot of people in Manchester sort of looked up and went, who's this company? Who are they? We've never even heard of them. <laughs> and here they are, 80 people in the city centre with a Queen's Award for innovation. How on earth have we not heard of them before? And I have actually asked a few people over, the, you know, in the last couple of months, you know, why do you think we went under the radar? Because we were there and because we're bootstrapped, uh, we, you know, we funded the business 100% ourselves. We've never taken investment. And they said normally when somebody takes investment, they pop up above the parapet and everyone starts, oh, who are these people? You know, because they're doing the rounds, et cetera, et cetera. But because we'd never done that, we just flew completely under the radar and nobody knew until that point. Um, so at that point, you know, we did start getting a, quite a lot of PR, um, sort of being invited to speak on, you know, magazines. Um, and then I think then, yeah, it gave us the kudos. People sort of realised we were a, a, a proper grown up business. <laughs> I love it. It's amazing how many people say that. It's like, oh, at, at this point, I finally realised that we were a proper grown up business. <laughs> and it's different for every single person, but always a lot later than probably they should realise it. So I love that. And just out of interest, because we've had lots of guests on this podcast that uh, some talk about self-funding the business and, and growing it organically. And then other people talk about going for investment from an early, early stage. What made you want to go and just do it all yourself? Probably fear. Okay. <laughs> um, lack of education. Um, I think because we weren't part of that tech network um and we didn't know any tech entrepreneurs and we didn't we just probably naive we probably didn't know and and then as as we grew as we were making the cash ourselves we realized we didn't need to get an investor to fund the next sort of growth stage ourselves um so it was probably just naivety um and like i say you know lack of education i don't looking back i don't know I think if I had known, if we knew now what we knew then, would we have taken investment and got there quicker? Or I have absolutely not, you know, it's, we have no idea now, but it is what it is. Uh, <laughs> and we have just funded it ourselves. Um, so, you know, it's, and it's, it's fascinating. I love listening to um, other businesses now that have raised funding. And I just think it's, you know, to me, it's a whole new world. I think it's fascinating. And especially at the startup phase when they're able to raise that investment so early without necessarily having a product even. I just think it's amazing. Um, and yeah, I've, I've no idea if we knew now whether we would have done it or not. I don't know. <laughs> so that, that, that's an interesting question. So at what point in the business did you feel like you weren't a startup anymore? Oh, Goodness, um, when was that? Um, when would that have been? I think. I don't know because sometimes I still feel like a grown-up business. I think one. Of, I think one of the biggest things we got accepted in the Goldman Sachs Ten Thousand Small Businesses Program, um, and I think that was the first time we sort of had external validation by a company like that. Um, 
so and, and it was to support a company that they could see had scale up potential and I think it was the fact so when would that have been that would have been about nine years ago um I suddenly thought goodness you know somebody else external from us thinks we can do this and again if we'd taken investments that would have equally probably validated that at some point as well um but for a company like that to have interviews and know that they 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 saw something in us that um that that was worthy of taking on this program um yeah I think that was that was a pretty special moment but um I still also, I mean, we've talked about it quite recently in the business, obviously with COVID and the lockdown, um, the way that we've coped with the transition from the office to all home working uh, very rapidly, um, it made us realise we were more mature and more established than we realised and ready to do that. Because obviously we'd never experienced anything as most companies haven't, having to get you know 100% of the staff working from home within you know a matter of hours really or days. Um, it made us realise we were actually in a much stronger position than maybe we even we'd realised we were. And you know, as a board, we've sort of sat down and gone, "Goodness, yeah, we." And again, yeah, we are a, a grown-up business now. We can't, we we could cope with that with minimal disturbance to the business and to the employees. Um, so yeah, it's been a fascinating time. Oh, that's fantastic! I love that. So, um. Yeah, that that's brilliant. And the Goldman Sachs was that something that came to you, or did was that something that you went after? Um, so again, in the incubator uh, that we were in, there was a, a larger company that was working there, and they did leadership and business coaching and sort of sales training and things like that. And one of the guys on there, he was one of the interviewee uh, interviewers for the uh, for the panel, and he'd actually approached me. I'd not heard again because we didn't go out networking. Nobody knew. Nobody else would have come to us because they didn't know we existed, and I would never have gone looking for such a program. And he came and said, "Oh, you know, there's this program. I think I was in the second or third cohort in Manchester." and he says oh you know they're, they're going to be uh, they're looking for um people to um apply and also you know they they want to encourage more women founders to apply because it's mainly quite male heavy um so he said you know i really think one file would be in a brilliant position to apply for this um and that yes yeah, so that's how we found out about it but i mean now goodness there's been over a thousand um businesses that have been on the program and during this time um they've actually um put together like an emergency covid19 reimagining business program four-week program for the alumni that everybody from the alumni could attend and i think there's been four over 400 companies that have been on the program in the last few weeks which has just been phenomenal and again you're meeting a different network again and under different circumstances because obviously now a lot of these businesses are now in survival mode. They, you know, they're not sure how they're going to make it through. Um, so it's been f- fantastic to sort of revisit um, some of the principles that you get taught um, in a business program such as that. Oh, brilliant. That's great advice too. Because I think you're always learning those principles and refining them and understanding what you can leverage and what you have to prioritise. And, you know, getting that external input is so valuable. Absolutely. And have you noticed a difference um, now, like so you set up the business 15 years ago, have you noticed more women founded, like sort of female founded businesses coming through? Um, yeah, I mean, obviously I'm part of that network. So, yeah, obviously, I, I, again, I never realised that being 
you know, when we started again, again, probably up to the last few years till I started networking, I didn't really sort of realize it was a thing being a female founder, a female tech founder. I hadn't you know, sort of appreciated that that was sort of seen as something that was um, rarer. Um, but yeah, so, you know, we, we do a lot of, I do quite a lot of talking again on the, on the sort, of, sort of the diversity space and um, sort of encouraging women into STEM um working for sort of tech uh, female tech founders networks etc um so i probably don't see it as much because obviously i'm i'm surrounded by people uh who are promoting uh that kind of space but yeah i mean there is, there is a huge issue um of diversity in tech not just in gender but uh, sort of in all areas and that's something that i'm really passionate about um my mother's actually chinese so my mother's maiden name is Ng. Um, and sometimes I have to put in, um, you know, for security, I'm telling everyone. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's a, uh, mother's maiden name. Um, and it will flash up that it must be the, the surname must be a minimum of three characters. And it's like, well, mm, is a really popular Chinese surname. So I'm sure you're not being racist, but because you don't have a diverse tech or testing team, you're just not being picking up on that. So um so you know there's a huge argument about diversity obviously in any area of life but you know it's, it's it's a huge thing for me about having a diverse um team at work um especially in the the dev team as well um looking at that and it, it can be a real struggle looking for um sort of female developers um having that diverse team and it is you know it's got to start at school um going back to the school so i do a lot of work with um for example levenshum high school for girls they, they're based right opposite where um the estate was where we started one far so i've got a bit of affinity because the school was on the same estate um and so we take um girls from the school for work experience a couple of times a year um and i i say to them you know what do you think it's going to be like working in a tech company what if you said to your teachers what what job can i do in a tech company what would they say they said, oh we'd have to be a developer and I say, you know, afterwards, at the end of the week, I said, what have you learned now? Well, you've got sales, you've got HR, you've got finance, you've got, um, you know, customer delivery, you've got call center, you've got, you know, de graphic designers, you've got testers, you know, every job, just because it's a tech company, you know, you still need a diverse, you know, set of skills and abilities within the tech company. It's not just developing. Yeah. And it, it I love this subject and I think a lot of it like um I always fall out with a few people because I I don't like exclusive women's only events because I think that's kind of def defeating the whole point of uh, diversity and inclusion yeah. and I've learned that especially because I had a baby nine months ago um or depending on when you're listening to this podcast but um it's, it's all mum driven and like my partner is just as active in sort of our, our child's sort of upbringing and care and everything else he's just like hang on a minute everything is geared towards women you know what about the dads that want to stay at home and what what about the dads that wants care for for the baby and there's there's no there's nothing aimed at them because it's there's no diverse thinking at the top or it's you know the complete opposite way around so yeah you kind of, it's kind of it just needs to be diverse and it, you do need to have different perspectives and different experiences and things like that absolutely and you know and it's it's bizarre as well because you know nobody means it's it's sort of like the subconscious stuff as well so i'm away from home you know normally not obviously at the moment but with work quite a lot at different con conferences and exhibitions and people will say to you even women so who's got the kids and i'm like well the dad who if, if it was him that was out nobody would say to him who's got the kids it would just be presumed it would be me, me back home but they always i was like well who do you think has got <laughs> 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 yeah, exactly they're fine um 
yeah that you know and it's just sort of that subconscious you know they're not consciously saying it. it's just a, something to say but you it wouldn't be something to say to a man it's something to say to a woman to sort of break the ice and you know it's sort of it's you know I think we're a long way from getting away from that really yeah so we're battling against centuries worth of conditioning though aren't we really <laughs> so it's like you know it's not going to be an overnight fix <laughs> but it's it's uh yeah it's a challenge but I think it's it's lovely to um to see what you're doing especially in the the women in tech space and helping teach like go into schools and inspire more girls because I know that uh, I, I went into engineering from school but I was the only I went to a girl school like literally if you're listening to this don't send your child to a girl school <laughs> um but yeah it's um I was the only girl that went into an engineering or sort of stem related field and I think when I was at uni I was like one of te- like less than 10 people in my class and it, it was ridiculous but again it goes back to those I think the careers advice at school as well um I was I was at a conference a while ago and Coca-Cola were there and they'd actually bought um three of their female engineers along to the conference to speak and they were all late teens early 20s and when people asked them about their experience of getting into engineering every single one of them at school had been told that's for boys you know and we're not talking decades ago they're only late teens early 20s themselves and you know the prejudice that you know if the, if, if the schools aren't promoting stem to the girls and there was there's was, um i saw on twitter a while ago there was um a mum who was upset because her daughter had put down it was a careers advice um session at school the uh, girl, I think, had put down to go to an either a computing or an engineering careers talk. And when she got there, one of the teachers said, oh, I've taken your name off there. I've put you on childcare. So what? <laughs> Why on earth is this happening in this day and age? Wow. And, you know, how how can we get the teachers? I mean, you know, obviously it's not all teachers at all, but it obviously still happens. Um, and also, how do we get the confidence in the girls? Because a lot of the girls... When I've spoken to the girls or the teenage girls, they want to go and do what their friends want to do. So they may want to go and do engineering or computing. But if their friends are going into another uh, uh, sector, then they want to be with their mates. You know, they want to have a good time, don't they? They want to, you know, have a bit of fun. So they tend, so it's how can we give them the confidence to understand you can still hang around with your mates, but you could do your course in another course and come back and see them sort of later on so it's just a it's a tricky time isn't it obviously teenage years yeah I wouldn't go back if somebody paid me a lot of money (laughs) not now not with social media good grief I'm glad I missed all that when I was a teenager I know tell me about I mean like it's really annoying because I get categorized in the millennial field and everybody presumes I grew up with um you know social media all the time I mean yeah I grew up with like MSM messenger and things like that but you you know as soon as you turned it off then it was off and uh, that was about as advanced as you got um but but, yeah, I was talking with somebody the other day about like the first mobile phones and how you had to pay 10p for a text message. She'd work out how many text messages you know you're really frugal with the amount of text she sends. <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't be sending emojis just as like you know no, that one like thumbs it. up. You'd be like, oh no, I can't send that. I've got to fit as many characters as possible to you know get my uh, get my 10p's worth. But yeah, I know it's crazy. I mean, like. Uh, engineering is hard though because I know that I had a few friends that study you know sort of psychology or they studied English or some of the more like creative um 
things and it's like you know I was there like 42 hours of labs and uh, lectures and things like that and they're like all right yes I've done my six hours this week I'm just going to go and sit and you know drink in the park and I'm like oh okay I did psychology I was one of those I'm afraid (laughs) oh there you go (laughs) you know weirdly looking back I wish I had done psychology for different reasons but (laughs) anyway um no that that's wonderful I love that um but uh, if you are listening to this podcast as well I um my very first podcast interviewee um was a wonderful guy called Niall Henry so also from Manchester also on the tech scene and um, he goes into schools helping kids get involved in STEM technology but teaching them how to build electric go-karts and then race them and he was saying as well that he said that once the girls got behind what they were trying to do they were way more interested in it than the boys um, especially at an early age which I just thought was uh, was brilliant especially as a big go-karting fan myself so (laughs) brilliant (laughs) I love that. So I'm back on to business. Um, I wanted to talk to you about uh, marketing because a lot of people that I speak to find marketing incredibly overwhelming and stressful and a lot of uh, budget goes back into product development and R&D. Um, and then there's nothing left over for marketing. So what was your approach when you first started to marketing and how is that different now, if it is different at all? Yeah, so the very first approach was me having absolutely no idea, not having a marketing or sales background at all, um, printing things out on A4 and stapling them on our bed. So that was, that was uh, sticking them in some uh, shiny brochure that we'd, a uh, sort of file that we'd uh, had created. Um, I thought I was being really clever because I, I kind of knew that our marketing would have to change over time. And I didn't want to use up like to, to sort of get the... Um, pamphlets or the booklets printed I was like "Mm, that might be wasted if we don't give many away so we got like a folder printed and then I could change the inserts (laughs) (laughs) so I thought I was really clever at that stage by doing that um yeah so I mean I mean luckily um Chris um like I said my husband his background was websites um search engine optimization even though it wasn't called search engine optimization back in those days it was just get to the top of the search engine um, so but that was his expertise. So that worked very well for us um, straight away. Um, but um, yeah, the rest of the marketing, I can remember we went to our first exhibition and we didn't have a clue what we were doing. Um, and about two weeks before somebody said to us, um, so have you got some sort of board or some kind of you know banner and we're like what because we can't just sit at the table people come up and ask you where the toilets are <laughs> you've got to have some kind of background we're like, oh my god so we quickly designed something and it, honestly it was I don't know if you remember sort of library displays it, we had velcro oh love it <laughs> <laughs> we stuck it to the backboards and the surrounding boards of the uh, shell because we'd never even been to one and we had no idea what to do. And I can remember somebody coming along with this fancy pull-up banner. And I was like, one day I'm going to have one of those banners. I'm going to I'll have made it when I've got one of those pull-up banners. Um, so, yeah, it, it's been a long journey. And actually one of the, um, the first sort of major hires we probably did um, was to hire somebody with a marketing background um, and yeah so he was he was probably the first person that we recruited that had an ex, a, a specialist apart from the developers obviously but Chris was a developer as well and things like that he was the first person that we went out for for a spe- specific part of the business marketing that we knew we had a huge gap for um, so but we knew we had to make that investment because Chris and I had absolutely no idea, basically. Um, so we actually invested quite, you know, that was that was probably the first sort of 
investment that we kind of went had to think really seriously about this is you know and we didn't know if it would but yeah definitely we 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 invest heavily in marketing and our brand and how we come across to people and it's really important that people get the vibe from us that we want to give that we are the people that we are we want to have people in the sector understanding um sort of our culture and the way that we want to be um and when we get called the sort of friendly northerners as well people ring up and go, oh, you're the friendly northerners the friendly northerners <laughs> i love it <laughs> Uh, which is great because I love having that vibe. I like, you know, there's far worse things to record than the friendly northerners. So, yeah, and we, you know, on the website we have an area called Explore where we have thought leadership articles. Um, so it's great, you know. We, you know, our background, you know, one of our US is our expertise in the sector. You know, we're not a bunch of techies that have just developed a solution. We, you know, we're experts in the apprenticeship sector, and you know, our salespeople, our customer success managers, they all come from that sector um so we want to show that that we do understand we have that empathy with our customers because we have actually been there we've done their jobs and we understand the pains that they're going through so um yeah it's it's marketing is you do have to invest in it because and it was quite interesting when we were back at the incubator right at the beginning um there was a company on our floor who were talking about silicon valley and you know, as a oh, wow, Silicon Valley, they were having potential customers there. And I was like, wow, we they're gonna be huge. And actually they didn't make it. They they sort of folded. And it was because there were a room full of techies. And we we're talking about going back to the first conversation, they were a room full of techies, incredibly intelligent. They could, I couldn't really even understand what they did, but they didn't have anybody out there that could market them. So you could have the best product in the world or the best service in the world, but unless anyone knows about it, there's no point. Yeah. So for everybody listening to that, very wise words. <laughs> you have to market your business if you want people to come to you. Yeah, One of my previous guests, he was like, well, somebody told me once that if you build it, they will come. And he's like, that was like my biggest learning when I first started my tech business because they don't come. You have to go to them. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, I love uh, Yeah, I love that. I realized that I keep saying, oh, I love that. I love that, which is something I definitely need to kick. I don't know where it's even come from. Crikey. Um, so of all of the different ways that you've marketed over the years which have been your kind of like most sort of successful means of marketing oh goodness um i've got some stats <laughs> i love it stats <laughs> so, so you need to have stats could just go with intuition which, which do you think yeah, no, been the, I, the I definitely our explore area of the website um but obviously that takes dedicated time to write articles and to gather research and to understand what people are talking about in the sector. So, that I mean, that is a big investment. Um, obviously, you know, if you have a lot of competitors, you need to be at the top of the sites at the end of the day. You've got to be at the top of the search engines, and you know, nobody gets to page two. No one even gets halfway down page one, let's face it. So, um, and it was quite interesting, actually. I had a meeting with the Times Education Supplement Editor for the Further, edu further Education Sector, um, and he, he complimented me, basically, goes, when I type in anything to do with apprenticeships, one file comes up, and you're higher than us. So I was like, well, I'll take that if we're higher than the times in the search engines for certain sectors. Um, so I was really pleased with that. Um, and then, um, obviously, networking, you know, get to, get to know people in your sector. Um, and then for, I think for me as well, obviously, it was the, um, I think, uh, get, getting known um, in your sector and in the networks um, and, you know, just 
like I think you put a shout out for somebody to say oh is there anybody I should speak to and somebody recommended my name I mean that's just brilliant you know I can't I can't buy that kind of recommendation really that's just you've got you've just got to put yourself out there um there's no other way I mean I could I suppose I could have paid us to say my name <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that would have taken time so um yeah you just you've just got to get yourself out there like you know yeah you, you build it and they won't they won't just come that's absolutely right um you've got to shout loud and proud and and something else that the Goldman Sachs program said as well um you know when you do good in your business if you do have CSR if you do go out into the community you do do you know whatever kind of work that you do a charitable arm shout about it you know people want to do business with people that do nice things because inherently people are on the whole nice um and we want to do business with a company that you think and so they did say you know they asked at the time who does sort of some kind of CSR or who's won an award and what you've done done about it and 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 loads of people don't tell anyone it's a bit embarrassing isn't it it's a bit and yeah it is you know um but you've just got to You've, you've got to shout about it um and it's nice because you do get nice feedback back as well and that is nice to hear i mean just this week um um i, I again i have absolutely no idea how but i was um listed on the top 32 women entrepreneurs to watch in the uk uh, by business Fantastic. leader magazine uh, yeah um I, I someone tagged me into it i had no idea i was like reading it what how am i on there and I've, I've said about it on social media which has been amazing and it's been absolutely lovely i've had so many wonderful positive comments it's been a real boost this week you know real tonic after you know being in lockdown for three months and i wasn't going to tell my team i wasn't i wasn't going to tell the staff it's a bit embarrassing it's a bit mm, cringe i think um and then two of the staff who'd seen it i was like are you going to tell everyone I was like, oh, I don't know, no, I'll, I'll tell it on social media, that's fine, um, but I'm not, no, I'm not going to tell everyone, I'm not even told my, not even told my friends, um, so anyway, I do a, I do a, um, an end of week roundup during lockdown, so at the, on a Friday, I've just written it before I came onto the podcast, and uh, I've written it, <laughs> I've written it in the podcast, I've written it in the end of week, I said, well, I wasn't going to tell you, but I've been told by a couple of people I've got to, <laughs> so, yeah, because it's an incredible achievement. You should definitely yeah, set it. Yeah. Is. It is. And it's, it's amazing. Um, absolutely amazing. But yeah, I suppose it's, it's just that sort of British thing in us, isn't it? Um, I know. was going to say, I think it is a British thing because I did, um, I, I was on a, a marketing accelerator over, uh, run by somebody over in the States for a couple of years. And the distinct difference between the Brits in the room and the Americans, uh, you know, it's like, oh, well, I'm not sure if I can talk about that because it's not quite good enough yet. Or, you know, like, oh, you know, only one of the top 30 entrepreneurs, but, you know, like, it's, you know, oh, but it's an incredible achievement. So, yes, uh, I know that I've, I used to struggle with that a lot. So I'm getting a lot better at it, but I think it is a, it is very much a British thing. I don't know. I, I don't so. even know where it came from. It's uh... no, exactly. But I think we grow out of it as well because um, I did a talk a while ago um, at an award ceremony, and um, I was talking about my daughter. So my daughter's six now, but I think she must have been four at the time or five at the time. And I said to her, "Oh, you know, that's a really good drawing." And she looked at me and went, "I know." <laughs> you know I'd have been like, "Oh, I don't like the way they've done the face. I don't like the way I've coloured it in or shaded it." She was like, "Yeah, I know. Yeah." And I say to her, well, "You look nice today." She goes, "Yeah." I know, yeah, I picked these, oh. great. And I just think, when when do we lose that? You know, when do we lose, you know, is it sort of like shaken out of us at school or, you know, you shouldn't be too, 
because obviously you don't want to be too yeah i know i'm great um there's got to be like a happy medium hasn't there but i think sometimes we go too far the other way like like i said i haven't even told my friends so I just think oh yeah i went to an old girl school so for me i'd be like it's when i went to that school <laughs> there you go it probably would have been different now but yeah no i uh oh, horrible experience but that's the whole story for another day <laughs> um but yeah no definitely scream and shout about that that's amazing so I'm very I feel very honored that you've uh, shared that information with me here today you're very welcome (laughs) so that's brilliant and I did want to ask as well like so what um what's the difference between you sort of putting yourself out there as a a founder of a sort of successful tech company versus focusing more on the branding of the tech company Oh, it's a lot easier. Yeah, it's a lot easier focusing on the business. And, you know, when one bar wins awards, yeah, I'll brag about it. I'll tell anybody who'll listen. I'll tell someone <laughs> passing on the street. <laughs> They'll stop and listen to me. It's just different because, you know, it's, I mean, it's, I'm only as good an entrepreneur or business because of the team behind me. But obviously, when it's your name, that it's it feels more individual. But where it's the business that's winning something, then, you know, I I feel like I'm able to share that more with the business, you know, that this is all of us. But even though when I get named or I win something personally, I still couldn't do it without the team. I wouldn't be where I am now without the team. Um, but yeah, it's it's always, and I say it all the time to my market, it's always a lot easier sort of bragging about what one file's done and what one file's won. I don't like really talking about when it's me. And, you know, sometimes they'll, we'll do it. We'll, we'll say that you've done it and you can just share it. Okay, you do that. <laughs> But it's just a lot easier to talk about it because the business is my baby. You know, I've got two kids, but this is they always talk about one far being our firstborn, and we've actually got three kids. And you always want to talk about your, your kids and how great your kids are and how beautiful your kids are, don't you? So <laughs> you do with business as well. But then when you speak to, like, I think that's one thing I've struggled with since I became a mum is that you know all of my friends uh, don't really have their own businesses, so they want to talk about the baby. And I'm just like, oh, but my business has done something really cool, yeah. right? So, you know, yeah. the baby's still a baby. He's not doing that much at the moment. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, absolutely. And the thing is, it's like when you have a business and you have friends that don't have business. It's like having a baby and you're talking to a friend who doesn't have a baby. They have no idea how tired you are. They have no idea what you are feeling and what you are going through and, you know, everything else that goes with being a sort of a new mom and all of that stuff. So, and it's exactly the same. I, I can remember right at the beginning when I was like, oh, I find myself talking about the business all the time in front of my friends and then I could just see them glaze over, you know. But to me, it was like, it it was just like I'd had a baby and I just wanted to talk to people about how many times it had pooed and how many hours it (laughs) slept at night, what colour its poo was and, you know, the gory details of it all. And that's why now I have my business owner founder friends that I can just splurge to or I can just message and go, oh my God, this has happened today. I can't believe it, good or bad. Um, And they just go, oh yeah, completely get it completely 100% get it yeah it's so important to have those peers and those people that do understand what you're going through as well because it is it is hard it's you know long hours and uh, there's a lot of stresses and things like that that nobody talks about no no there's big sacrifices when you run your own business um you know people people say to me are you so lucky you run your own business so you know I bet you get as much leave as you want I go god I wish you know (laughs) you know I mean definitely the first few you know goodness I don't even know, 10 years, I hardly, you know, I, I didn't take leave unless we were going away on holiday somewhere. Do you know what I mean? It just didn't happen. So, um, you know, and people sort of say, oh, you're so lucky. And I go, well, you know, during our honeymoons, we launched the year that we actually got married. And during our honeymoon, we went to Paris, Rome and Venice. 
and we worked every single day for about three or four hours a day. And I said, I don't really know anybody else that worked in the Maldives on their honeymoon or whatever they did. You know, that was their time. But we we had to do that because we had this, it would be like having a baby. You know, you've still got to feed it. You've still got to breathe life into it. It's still got to be nurtured. And just because we're going away for two weeks for our honeymoon, we can't just leave it. Um, it's just something that had to be done. Um, and again, the first time that I thought we'd, we'd taken on a couple of members of staff and we thought we had a holiday coming up and I thought, oh, goodness, you know, this is going to be the first proper holiday, actually, because it was somebody that was get, doing really well. And unfortunately, shot taken poorly just before we went on holiday. And we had to work sort of all morning, every morning of the holiday till about one in the afternoon. And I was like, I can't, you know, but again, that's the sacrifices you have to make. Yeah, definitely. And just on the subject of, of hiring and taking staff on, are there any uh, sort of words of wisdom that you can share with our listeners that may be at the point where they're either taking on their first hire or they're looking at sort of hiring more people? I think you've got to make a, a conscious decision, especially when you're hiring sort of your first sort of batch of the team. Are you hiring somebody to take some of the workload off you? So it could be admin work, it could be, you know, whatever that might look like for you or if you're a developer, do you want another developer in? Or are you looking for somebody who's got skills that you don't have, who's going to take you, maybe improve like the marketing or whatever that might be, or somebody in sales? Um, and I think it's, you have to make that, you know, decision. We, 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 first of all, just started hiring people to take some of the workload off us. Um, and then after a few years, we realized actually we've got to find people that are better than us in areas that we're weak. Um, and that is a big turning point in the business, actually. And, you know, um, and sometimes as well, you you promote people within and that's great. And everybody does it. You know, people have been there a long time. They get promoted they've been there a long time. They get promoted. But as you grow, the people that started the business with you aren't necessarily the people that are going to take you to the next stage. So as you go from naught to a couple of hundred thousand, as you go from a couple of hundred thousand to a million and, you know, up, 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 the people that are along the journey aren't always going to be the people that want to continue on the way. So, you know, we had people right at the beginning, I'd be sat on a desk with them, you know, chatting to them every day. And some of them are still with the business, but I might not see them every day, you know, because they're in another part of the office. I'm out four days a week and I might not bump into them on the day that I'm back in the office so and for some people that's okay but then other people they like that oh I've sat with the founder and so for them it might be a change as well and as as you ramp up and you have to become again more of a grown-up business you have to put your processes you know at the beginning it's just haphazard and let's face it it's just a trial and error but as you have to put the processes and procedures in as you get your ISO certifications and things like that and you have to do things properly um things have to change and um some of the people that you know have been with you will choose to say it's uh yeah i'm not enjoying this anymore for whatever reason and you know i need to go and find another business that's smaller and not not growing so fast and then sometimes you do have to make a difficult decision that the person in the business isn't the right person anymore and you have to have that difficult conversation with them as well and and it's you know it's it's incredibly tricky I think the people side of it is the hardest part to get right um and also you know you need to recruit on skills but also behaviors you can have the best salesperson you can have the best developer you can have the best whatever in your business but if their behaviors aren't right it'll be poison to your business 
absolute poison and it spreads uh, like wildfire. And the most positive people in your business can become trodden down by somebody else's negativity and poison. Um, and again, you know, you need to move quickly when there's people like that. And that's great advice. And I hope that a lot of people listening will take on board that advice. Because I think it's, <laughs> it's one of those that you, uh, well, I don't know, speaking for myself, like you learn uh, through experience and making those mistakes and uh, then realizing, hang on a minute, uh, I need to not do that again. Um, so thank you for sharing that. That's uh, really, really helpful. So I, I'm aware that I'm taking a lot of your time here, um, but like, you know, you're already doing some absolutely wonderful things have grown so much over the last few years. What What's next for, for OneFile? Um, so we've got some new products um, being launched this year. So um, we're in the apprenticeship space. So it's other products that are complementary to the products that we already have um, to support people on their journey. Um, so it makes our customers more efficient. It makes them more robust, more you know, um, easily auditable, et cetera, et cetera. So that's really, really exciting. Um, and then it's, it's yeah, what's the next horizon? That's what we're thinking of now. What's the next horizon? Where are we going after that? So are we, do we want, are we staying in the apprenticeship market? I mean, we will stay in the apprenticeship market. You know, we absolutely adore it. But what what is next? Where else can we take one file? Is there new markets? We have um, some business over in the States, which is really exciting. Um, and we have some business in different parts of the world. So we want to sort of internationalize. Um, I'm just sort of there's too many shiny things and that's why the board are so great because they rein me in <laughs> so let's concentrate on one at a time because I'd go for them all if I could um so yeah it's uh yeah so yeah we're just working through and obviously you know with the situation as it is with COVID you know what are the opportunities as we come out of post-COVID what how are people going to be working in the future you know um, you know, so many people would never have done video conferencing. They would have turned the cameras off. I mean, I would have been the ones, oh, I can't put the camera on. Um, and now it's just second nature. It has, it's had to be because we've had to. So how is education? How is vocational training uh, going to change in the future? How is, you know, learning and development in organisations going to change in the future? So that's sort of what we're concentrating on at the moment. Oh, brilliant. I can't wait to uh, see more about what it is that you're up to. I have a quick question before we move on is that, um, you know, you talked about your board a couple of times. At what point did you get the board together for the business? Um, so um, we've had sort of internal people on the board. Um, but so it's been in the last two years, actually. So we we're probably sort of quite late. Um, we, 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 we acted as a board. But it was all sort of people within the business. Uh, I mean, the board members that we've got now, they still work part time, very part, it's sort of in the business um, the odd day. Um, or, you know, they come in and support, support the business. Um, but what I've also found with recruitment as well is when you want real specialism and real expertise. So um, our FD, for example, is ex Barclays IT finance director. Now, I couldn't afford him full time, um, but actually he can come in a couple of days a week. And I can afford him for a couple of days a week. Um, and, you know, it's revolutionized what we've been able to do. Um, so you don't, if you need expertise in your business or, board, you know, you don't have to take them on full time. Can you afford? Because also what's great is he'll, he's got a portfolio um, career now where he works in several, you know, several other businesses. So he's bringing expertise, he's learning in other businesses back to ours as well. So that's fantastic. Um so yeah, it is, and it is good having a you know 
it's, it's weird because when you work in the business as well and you're an executive board member, it's different. And then obviously I'm a shareholder as well. So that's different. Again, you've got, so I've kind of got three hats. You've got your shareholder hat, you've got your employee hat, and you've got your board hat, your director hat. And you've got different responsibilities in all three of those. Um, and, you know, I'm doing my Institute of Directors exams and there's so many people that are directors of businesses and on boards that do not have a clue what their responsibilities are. They do not know that they could go to prison if there's a health and safety breach in the business. And they do not know that they could be financially, personally liable. They think, oh, we've got limited company. No, if there's a health and safety breach or something goes wrong like that, you can be personally liable for your own house, you know, your own money. Um, So, you know, I think as you're taking on board members and somebody's becoming a director of their own business, it is something that it's, it's a serious thing becoming a director um and people do have to understand what their responsibilities are um and it's quite scary that so many people out there don't um sorry going back to your question yeah (laughs) no no I mean this to be honest this is all really valuable information because I know that um uh before I set up my own business I went on a director development program and my eyes were definitely opened at that point because I think especially when you're in one way like young and green and you're just growing in the company and you look at that title of director and you just think you know what that's what I'm working towards but then you don't necessarily you don't consider all of the the risks and the you know the other things that are involved you know it's that like you hope it will never happen to you but you always need to know right okay if it did what do I do exactly absolutely yeah so you were going to answer my original question. Oh, yeah. yeah so, yeah. So, I mean, yeah. Sorry, so, but that's really, really funny. It's not really the last few years. I mean, we've talked about having a board, but it's really the last few years we've got external people okay. in, to work with the business on the board, yeah. We've been quite late to the game. We, we've, we've always tried to function as a board, even with the executive board members. You know, we, we do it right. But um, it's, it's great. It's fantastic. It's, it's a different kettle of fish when you can bring somebody external to the business in. Who, can, who has got that external point of view and that external experience of the outside world. Because I think, you know, when you've been working in your own business for 10, 15 years, it's very difficult to get that that point of view and that expertise. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. Thank you for sharing that. That's really, uh, really useful, especially for lots of people in different stages of business as well can take that on board. Um, it doesn't have to be, you don't have to be in business for as long as you have to, to get a board together and to... Yeah, but I also think as well, if you take investments, obviously the private equity firm will put a member, you know, somebody in your board. So if you're taking that right at the beginning, that's another benefit to taking investments that you would have that external expertise of a, a somebody that's got, you know, know-how and knowledge of how to build a business straight away. So, you know, there is definitely benefits from that. Yeah, brilliant. Okay, well, I'm not going to take over a huge amount more of your time, um, but if anybody wants to find out more about OneFile or get in touch with you or keep in contact, what's the best way of doing that? Um, well, I'm on Twitter at Susanna, so S-U-S-A-N-N-A, OneFile, O-N-E-F-I-L-E, so at Susanna OneFile. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn, Susanna Lawson. Um, yep, yeah, so I'm, I'm all over social media. You can find me oh, on there. I know, because that's how we, we met. We met on Twitter. Right. I love Here Twitter. <laughs> um so thank you very much all of the show notes will be available on my website if you want to have a read and also get the links to contact Susanna so thank you so much it's been uh, absolutely brilliant I could talk to you for ages about all sorts of different things and yes. I really do wish you all the best for the future that's wonderful thank you very much Charlie I've loved it that's been oh, great thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.
When marketing isn't your primary focus or area of expertise, it can quickly become very overwhelming, frustrating, and end up at the top of your I'm avoiding this list. If you'd like to make your life easier and get results from your marketing, then I invite you to come and join us in the Curious Marketing Club, a virtual community full of support, guidance, and know-how. For details about the club and for the show notes from this episode, please visit my website, charliewyman.com. If you enjoyed this episode and want to learn from other people who are being curious and doing amazing things, then please subscribe and keep listening. Thanks for joining us. See you next time.